America and other free and open societies face crucial challenges and opportunities abroad that affect security and prosperity at home. This is a series of conversations with guests who bring deep understanding of today's battlegrounds and creative ideas about how to compete, overcome challenges, capitalize on opportunities, and secure a better future. I am H.R. McMaster. This is Battlegrounds. On today's episode of Battlegrounds, our focus is on the Israeli Defense Force and what we might learn about military leadership from the experiences of the IDF Chiefs of Staff since 1948. Our guest is Brigadier General Reserve, Mayor Finkel of the IDF. A soldier scholar who holds three PhDs, is the author of several books, and serves as the head of research for the Dado Center in Interdisciplinary Military Studies an organization designed to further the success of the IDF and its military and political strategies. Prior to his current post, Finkel led the Dado Center from 2014 to 2019. For the first 20 years of his career, General Finkel served in the IDF Armored Corps, including as the commander of the 847th Armored Brigade during the Second Lebanon War. He also headed the IDF's Ground Forces Doctrine and Concept Development Department for seven years. General Finkel's doctorate degrees are in evolutionary biology, political science, and prehistoric archaeology. He is the author of three novels, a book entitled On Flexibility, Recovery from Technological and Doctrinal Surprise on the Battlefield, and numerous essays in military and academic journals. We welcome General Finkel to discuss his most recent book, entitled Studies in Generalship, Lessons from the Chiefs of Staff of the Israeli Defense Forces, what his research revealed concerning the essential elements of effective military leadership and his framework for selecting and evaluating performance of the most senior generals and admirals in democratic societies. General Finkel, welcome to Battlegrounds. Hey, let me begin by saying how great it has been over the years to work with you on future force development and laying a conceptual foundation for the U.S. Army and the, and the future Israeli Defense Force. And, and thanks again for being such a great host in Israel and taking us to your, some of your archaeological sites. Great to see you. Uh, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. And uh, I'm waiting to see you in person, not only through <laughs> video Zoom. You know, you know, I'll tell you, I look, I look forward to it. You know, our, our armies have worked together very closely over, over the years. And, and uh, first, I want to congratulate you on a, on a great book, Studies in Generalship. I think there are a lot of lessons there for leaders of all types, but obviously, in particular, military leaders. And I, I thought maybe a way to start our discussion is for you to set the context by describing the unique military history of Israel and, and the learning environment that allowed you to make these observations about the, the nature of military leadership? Okay, I, I won't begin with, uh, uh, with uh, describing a biblical battleground, but <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, ju just saying that Alexander the Great in person was here on, the, on his way south to Egypt and uh, Napoleon was leading his uh, forces in person from Egypt to Acre. Uh, trying to, to conquer the city 30 minutes uh, from 
where I see it, but putting the uh, uh, ancient and more recent military history aside, I believe that uh, uh, what is called the Arab-Israeli wars or Israeli-Arab wars, uh, the, the amount of engagement that the IDF had and still has uh, uh, with its adversaries, it's, um, it's, it's kind of huge. People usually are familiar with um, uh, uh, Six Days War in 1967, Yom Kippur War 1973, maybe Second Lebanon War 2006, but uh, there, there were many more, beginning from the War of Independence, which was fighting in four fronts, practically four wars at the same time. And the Sinai campaign, Sinai War in 1956, uh, um, uh, First Lebanon War, 1982, four engagement in Gaza, kind of a limited size operation since uh, uh, 2008. And and few prolonged wars or engagement in, in Gaza, in Judea, in Samaria, two, two, a decade and a half in the security zone in Lebanon. So when you put it all together, the, the amount of uh, test cases for a researcher dealing with force employment or force design is, is huge. And uh, this enable learning from, uh, from the IDF, not only from um, occasions where, uh, you know, the, the, um, the adversary was, was similar between the US Army and the Israel Army, which are, you know, the usual kinds of, of learning, but in much wider aspects. And I, ju I just want to, to, to talk about two, I would call, learning events of the US Army from the IDF. One of them is well known the, from the Yom Kippur War. The reason is obvious. Uh, uh, we, the Israelis, use American and uh, American tanks and airplanes, and we are fighting the Syrians and the Egyptians using Soviet tanks and airplanes. And uh, also uh, the newly acquired and deployed um, uh, ATGMs, the Sager missile and the uh, more sophisticated uh, surface-to-air missile, SA-6. So the reason for, for learning from the IDF was obvious. And I would say it was kind of a learning on the tactical and operational level, relevant lessons for a future war in Europe between NATO and Warsaw Pact. A second event is uh, 2006. Here, I think the US Army learned from the IDF on the strategic level on the issue of, uh, okay, what, what is happening to an army? which is occupied in uh, long wars, like we were fighting in Judea and Samaria, losing along the time the capability to fight in combined arms warfare, joint warfare. And uh, the US Army was saying, okay, I'm fighting long wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, M maybe I should learn from this issue. But also in uh, some uh, aspects of uh, tactical and operational level, the Hezbollah and the Hamas were, were taken as uh, what was called the, the hybrid threat, and they used the high, tra high trajectory fire, in the Israeli case on the civilian rear, in your case on bases in Iraq, tunnels, etc., etc. But, but I, I just give those examples as a basis to my claim that in my new book on, on studies on generalship, um, there is a, a lot much to learn uh, from military, Israeli military history, 
because what I deal with or focus here uh, in this book is, is not the adversaries or weapon systems or tactics which change all the time, but this is practically a self-reflection on, on organizational uh, and psychological issues that, in, at least in my opinion, are, are universal and uh, enduring. Uh, and I'll just say that you know, the, two, the two examples you gave, 1973 and 2006, did have a profound impact on the U.S. Army. And just for our viewers, I just <laughs> I wanted to summarize that General Don Starry, a real visionary in our army in, in the 70s and into the 80s, went to, went to visit Israel right in the wake of the 1973 war to learn everything that he could. The work that he did in the wake of that led to a, a fundamental shift in our doctrine called Airland Battle, which emphasized the integration of all arms uh, and joint capabilities to, to seize and retain the initiative over the enemy and took into account the countermeasures you mentioned that the Egyptians in particular, but the Syrians as well, had integrated into their forces after the lessons they learned from 1967. So I think what the, this example shows us is the continuous interaction right, with, with enemies in war, but also with adversaries in between wars. And we have to be recognized that our our adversaries will always be developing countermeasures to capabilities that we think, oh, might be decisive in future war. I think that's a, whenever we hear decisive, we should probably run for the <laughs> exits, right? Because nothing's ever uh, decisive. And this, of course, was the problem in 2006, where some of these theories of future war, you know, that really, really the next war will be fundamentally different from all those that have gone before it, uh, I think cap captured the Israeli Defense Force and captured yeah, I think that the American army as well. In 2006, the issue was that uh, the Israeli military thinking was, uh, you know, focused, on, not focused, but uh, practically people say, commanders, uh, um, uh, high-ranking officers, that the war against terror, terrorism in Judea and Samaria, uh, and we suffered from a, a massive uh, suicide bombs in, in uh, buses in Israel, etc. So they thought that uh, there were, they won't be any uh, more, uh, big wars. That, that that was the issue then. It's not uh, they thought that future war is going. They thought basically, I I, I you know, take you know, saying it, uh, it. It's kind of a flat saying, you know. There is complexity inside this issue, but practically they said no more big wars. We are winning the war against terrorism, and then we got to take the second Lebanon war. But getting back back to the issue of uh, learning from the Israeli military history, I think, but most of our uh, audience will say, okay, but things have, have changed. We, the Americans, are focusing again on near-peer or peer, whatever, you know, the, 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 the Russians, the, the Chinese. Uh, the, we, the Israeli military history is not relevant anymore. But And what I'm trying to say, that what I uh, suggest in, in, my, in, in my book is that... Um, um, I would say that I, I try to put the strategic environment and the enemy and the technology in the back of, of the test cases. And I, I think I can do it because I'm focusing not on the engagement between the, the IDF and its adversaries, but on its internal processes. I, I, I'm focusing on What's going on? I'll just give an example with a, a few of the, of, of the chapters of the book, if, if it's okay. No? Yes. The, the, yes. And I'll just point. I'll just point. I'll just point out. I think 
what it, what is what is interesting to point out first, uh, maybe just up front, and important to point out is that the Israeli Defense Force chiefs are both commanders and their advisors, right? And I think that I think the framework that you developed to assess them is particularly powerful. So I was just going to ask you to maybe introduce the framework that you used to assess IDF chiefs over time and the circumstances that they encountered in light of their you know their main duties and responsibilities. Okay, okay. I just I, I just begin with a note. When I'm saying the chief of staff, it's 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 not really the the chief of staff in American terminology. Okay, the chief of staff in the IDF is is uh, is the commander of the IDF. He's the sole commander. He giving the, he gives the direct orders on force force employment and uh, force design, and is to coordinate to the uh, minister of defense and the government decisions. Uh, it, it combines, uh, uh, practically, I think it combines both the chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff and the combatant, co combatant commander's authorities. Okay, it's just, just for clarification. He's not a, a staff officer. He's, he's the commander. Now, the, the, uh, uh, concerning the, the conceptual framework, what... Uh, uh, basically, I think that I'm looking uh, to find to describe and um, uh, crystallize uh, phenomena. That, that's what interests me, not the test cases. I'm Because a, a, a phenomenon by definition is uh, something that will you know, happen a few times in the past and will happen in the future. So looking for things that will happen in the future and uh, we, the, the Israel uh, the Defense Forces should learn from and uh, now those who will read the books, I focused on, on the social aspects of uh, the military doing. Now, the, the, the first uh, uh, chapter deals with the responsibility of the chief of staff or the commander of an organization, a general, in uh, his responsibility to identify changes in geopolitical, operational, and tactical realities, declare what is the new situation, to, to give it a name, to name it, and then, of course, to initiate a shift in his uh, forces under his responsibility to meet the new threat. Now, I, I compared six IDF's chief of staff in valid form uh, a great success to, to failures. And the, uh, the idea is that when you look on yourself, on issues of who is responsible for what, authorities, authorities, um, uh, division of labor within the military organization, the, 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 the uh, creation and diffusion of knowledge, and you put the, the adversary or, or the geopolitical situation in the back, you are able to crystallize the phenomena and, 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 and uh, get lessons from the future. And for example, from this chapter, what I, a, 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 a squeezed out of from those six uh, test cases was that uh, uh, what enabled uh, the chiefs of staff to, to do it right, to identify change and, and beginning shift the idea towards the new uh, uh, issue was three th issues. First, their personal uh, experience, meaning that if you for our audience, that if you think that your main uh, future theaters will be, well, well, no, I don't know, Europe and uh, the Pacific, 
you want the, the next uh, commander of whatever general that, 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 that you are going to appoint to a very critical position will serve along his career in those both theaters. In the old days in Israel, it was Sinai and, uh, and uh, Golan Heights, you know, in the days of the, the big wars. Now it's probably uh, serving along the Israeli-Lebanese border, Northern Arena, and in the Palestinian Arena, either Gaza or Judea and Samaria. So this is a first uh, um, a requirement for a commander to understand that something has changed because he has a reference, a personal reference. He remembers something from his past. He's saying, okay, this is different from what I, from what I, I remember. So let's get a deep uh, uh, investigation into the issue. The second uh, suggestion is that uh, he will uh, create a situation. He will uh, develop personnel that are, would say, I would say, troublemakers and keep them within his headquarters. Because when things change and you have to uh, critically or, you know, uh, check your uh, sometimes very deep-rooted uh, concept, somebody will be brave enough, close to you and brave enough to say, sir, you are wrong. Yeah. We are doing fine, the wrong thing. So second uh, you know, uh, guideline is create a situation where people are can say you are wrong within your close uh, environment. And the third one is, and when I compare chief of staff, is the formal learning processes that they, they organize for learning, for learning the, the, the diverse issues that they were dealing with. And they, 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 there are all kinds of learning methods and processes. So the combination of uh, your personal experience, the close environment, with troublemakers and uh, creating uh, uh, focused uh, learning uh, machineries uh, 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 aimed at specific problems, altogether this enable, according to my research, the chief of staff to identify a change as early as possible and chief the IDF and, and, and vice versa. Those that didn't do it, were uh, surprised and sometimes uh, depressed, you know, got into what is called the uh, uh, cognitive dissonance and couldn't handle the situation. So what I'm trying to say about the, my conceptual uh, framework is that I believe that when I focus on myself, it, it, it always repeats organizations based on humans and all what I described before are, are similar all over. And that's yeah. the reason that I believe that the book is, 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 would be very uh, you know, interesting for, for everybody because you don't have to, you know, to, 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 to know very good uh, IDF's military history. And some may say, okay, it's, this is totally... Uh, different military, military culture. Why should I learn from the Israelis? My military, military culture is different, but I'm saying it, it's not. And uh, if you want me, I can uh, you know, uh, describe another chapter and why it's uh, relevant for everybody. But No, no, I, no I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on this relevance, but I'll just tell you, I think it's absolutely relevant. I mean, the background and experience of leaders is, a, is an important consideration, obviously. And then I think your second point is having people around you who are going to tell you 
you know, not what you want to hear, but but give you a a, a uh, an honest assessment of the of of uh, of your initiatives and and to give you good advice. I mean, I think that has a lot to do with how secure a leader is in his personality, right? Those I think who are insecure yes. tend to surround themselves with with you know with sycophants and people who are yes men and so forth. But then I think what I'd like to hear a little bit more about is this. Uh, is, is setting up a, the, the ability to learn as an organization, because this is a topic that you bring up in, in your previous books as well. And, and when we were developing you know, our future armies, uh, I, I tried to put into place a framework for learning around what we called the Army War Fighting Challenges, first order problems, right, that will never really be solved, but we're working on interim solutions to these problems, such as how to develop and sustain a high degree of situational understanding in complex environments and against adaptive enemies. So by asking that question, you're, you're, you're developing sort of a, a way to learn about that in a focused, sustained, and collaborative manner. Instead of learning, oftentimes what we do is, is redundantly and episodically and so forth. But could you say more about you know, how, to, how you saw effective chiefs develop a, a learning process and, and a learning organization? Yes, uh, uh, I, I was the head, um, until two and a half years ago, the head of a um, data center, which is an organization, kind of, a, uh, I'm missing the, the English word, maybe I'll say it a, think a think tank, a think tank and, uh, and a... No, 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 it's not a think tank, it's not a think tank, the, the, okay. this, this is a big difference. But, well, I, when I describe data center, it's practically a, a kind of... A, 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 a strategic and operational level a learning accelerator. Okay. okay. What Dado Center uh, is doing, uh, based on a learning uh, concept called design, but it's not the American design, it's the Israeli version of design for our audience who thinks that it, it's a similar design. And, uh, and I will elaborate a little bit about uh, this issue. We, we were responsible to develop the method and the aid the generals in doing it, because every strategic and operational level uh, learning process is unique. You have to design a process uh, focused on this uh, set of problems, uh, a organization, whether it's a, a regional command in Israel, a service, a regional division, a commander of a, an array like the air defense. Each one of the learning processes depends on the issue and on, an, on the organization. And you have to, uh, create, to, to develop a unique, uh, a dedicated learning process for each, uh, for each case. So Dado Center is, is responsible still to do it. And it's not a think tank that gets the, you know, get the information and write papers about what I think should be done. This is a data center is aiding from within the organization, meaning that I work with the uh, commander, the major general who is commanding the Northern Command, he's thinking about next war with Hezbollah, what in go is going on now in Syria concerning uh, Iran, etc., etc. So I'm working with him along half a year, a year and that was sent, sent their, uh, researchers, which are you know researchers by name, but practically they are 
grown up in a way that they will be able to accompany a major general or brigadier general in their learning processes. Of course, that's it's part of the process. We, we make focused research on issues related to the content on the, of the process. But the Israeli strategic and operation level learning machine is based on understanding on open-minded commanders that I think aligned with what you, what you, uh, you just said, feel secure enough to expose themselves to uncertainties. This is critical. Critical. If you and to challenge to challenge to challenge assumptions, and I think uh, I know that that uh, does what really what we do in, in the training and doctrine command in our army and and uh, across our joint forces experimentation and war games and and trying to, to to challenge assumptions and come to different conclusions about priorities for for force modernization and improving military capabilities. Yes, but uh, in Israel somehow, and this is uh, relates to, uh, to to military culture. We are almost uh, don't use uh, red teams. Usually, external red teams seems to a commander as, as as guys that will never get deep enough into the the complexity of the issue like him, and and therefore cannot judge him. Our, our way is that. Uh, let's say I, I'm accompanying a general, I, I'm part of the learning group, and then in some part, I, I am creating the, the I, I'm uh, constructing the, the war game in order to challenge his uh, current and newly developed uh, 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 understanding and, and, and assumption. This is related to military culture, but usually we are not using external, so in, in some cases we do. But but um, in most cases not. But I, I think and, and again I want to get back to the issue of the secure personality or insecure personality because because I think this is the a major issue in, in general's development and commander development. I think that in the Israeli case, as I see it in the last seven and a half years altogether, as the commander of the center and head of research now working with them, working with the chief of staff, the JC of the IDF, and is that. Uh, if you uh, you you are uh, uh, insecure uh, have insecure personality, you will just fail because the change of the pace of of, of change of reality in Israel is is uh, is is so high that if you will stick to to, to previous concept and, and you won't identify the change when it's only growing, you will you will fail. So. So generals in the IDF, I think, practically are growing, uh, growing uh, uh, along the way in a way that that uh, you can uh, say uh, uh, choose or force the force up the those that have a secure personality and can cognitively and mentally handle a large amount of uncertainty and the ability to, again, expose themselves is their inconvenience. It's not, it's not easy for a general to say, I, I don't know, really, you know. And to say, I don't know the answer, we have to, 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 to work on it. And, and particularly, it, it, it's a huge dissonance because in the morning, let's say, the, the commander of, of the Northern Command is visiting in a, a uh, let's say a battalion exercise, and he's talking with the commanders. He's saying, "Okay, 
we are going to be the Hezbollah with the tactics and weapon system that you have now. And later in the afternoon, he's uh, conducting a session uh, in his uh, uh, learning process with his, uh, let's say, his, his staff and uh, division commander saying, okay, we have to develop new tactics. We, we, are, we, we are not relevant. Our concept is not relevant. So, so his personality has to contain you know, both uh, aspects of the very uh, hierarchy-based um, uh, conduct of commander and very open uh, uh, aspect of uh, open research and, uh, and uh, openness for criticism. And this is not easy. And I, I believe this is something that uh, is uh, extremely difficult, but, but, uh, but good commanders, wherever, I think wherever they, they are around the world are, are, are able to do both, both things. And I think this this uh, this framework for thinking about the future, generating change, and then and then coping with the outcomes of those changes is, is a really useful framework that you provide uh, provide in the book. And you know, I'd like to just talk a little bit more about you mentioned culture, and you know, I think about our warrior ethos these days as being under duress. And the, I describe the the, the warrior ethos, or think about it as a covenant that binds you know soldiers to, to one another. And also binds us to the society that, that that we serve. I think it's it's under strain here in the United States for a number of reasons. But what can you tell us about the role of the of the chief of staff in determining and directing the IDF's culture, which includes emphasizing you know values uh, that are important to combat effectiveness? Well, uh, first I want to say the chief of staff in Israel as a personality in the. In, in the Israeli society, is I think it's it's a it's a unique position compared to other I would say Western armies. Is is not only the, the commander of the army is a is a you know one of the most important social personalities in the eyes of the civilian. Okay, because the security you know demands or the security challenge security challenges in Israel are so vast. I think it's uh, you know they are usually you know uh, people are checking uh, the, the appreciation of uh, civilians of various um, uh, organizations in Israel like the the, the the Knesset, our parliament, the the the, the army, the the the, the, the police, etc., etc., and. and Usually the IDF is the most esteemed organization and the chief of staff is, is leading the most esteemed organization within Israel. So is, uh, what, what he says is, is not only uh, uh, what he says and, and doesn't say and how he reacts to all kinds of issues related to the warrior ethos and, and other issues is, uh, is held not only within the army but, but immediately all over Israel. So he's, uh, he's challenged, uh, I, I would say, in, 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 in various aspects regarding to the, to the, to the issue of, of uh, war fighting and, the, and the, uh, the warrior ethos. And this is on, on maybe three or four aspects. First is the land warfare ethos, you know, in the last uh, operations, we the IDF uh, did not uh, employ the great amount of of, uh, 
of land forces and there are all the time questions whether or not my son, uh, let's say, you know, my son is an infantry soldier <laughs> in one of the infantry brigades, but people ask themselves, okay, if, you know, uh, land for uh, warfare is not very important, so maybe I will send him to less demanding, but maybe, you know, more important than, you know, service in the intelligence. Maybe he'll go to, you know, the, to the cyber array and uh, maybe after the army will have uh, you know, something to, to live from. And, and so there are those kinds of questions. And the, and the chief of staff is dealing with, you know, elevating all the time the, the land the warrior ethos, which is an issue. Another one is the issue of, I don't want to get too much into details, but the issues of uh, women serving in the army. We, we've got almost the women almost every, uh, every, in every unit. I think the, the, the IDF was uh, spearheading this issue of, of, uh, of uh, putting women in, in combat uh, action. And there are the old, uh, Orthodox uh, Jews on the other side that, that are saying, okay, this is, in the, I, I, as a, I have a problem. I, meaning the, 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 the Orthodox uh, soldier, I have a problem with staying in the same small unit with women. So, but the IDF needs both. <laughs> So, so he's dealing a lot with this uh, challenge. Is you know sometimes uh, the, 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 it's criticized from both uh, sides. You know, uh, from, from one side, uh, say, people saying to him, uh, "Okay, uh, I want to see women uh, uh, tankers. You know, in, in tanks." From the other side, they say, "Okay, if uh, women will be in a tanks unit, then the Orthodox Jews won't be able to be part of the unit." And so altogether. As, as a military personality and the social personality, as I said, is challenged all the time in this issue. And uh, this is, a, I, I can't say what is the percentage of his time, you know, dealing with those issues, but he is, is fully engaged with them. Uh, and, and that's part of, and, and I believe it's, a, I, I'm not aware of what's going on in, in the US concerning those issues, but um, but he, is, he has uh, to deal uh, quite extensively with, with those issues. And, he, and there are all kinds of measures that uh, kind of uh, uh, try to emphasize the warrior ethos, meaning like uh, when you are, if you are a soldier in combat unit, the, when you, and, and I, to remind the audience, this is a concrete uh, army, okay? You don't, uh, it's not a volunteer army. You, you are not get, get paid for, for this issue. It's, it's you, are, you do it by law and then for 20 years and uh, as a reserve soldier. Uh, but still for the combat uh, soldiers who finish uh, almost three years of combat service, they get from the, uh, from the state of Israel uh, money for uh, a bachelor degree in, the, in universities. This is a, and this is only one measure of uh, the, 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 the state of Israel and the chief of staff dealing with this a lot. They try to emphasize and build and enforce the, 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 the issue of uh, uh, warrior eaters, which, which, as you said, is, is challenged all the time. A long you know, answer, for sure. <laughs> you know, and, and of course, you know, all, of these, all of these issues are political. So is giving military advice. I, I don't know if you're tracking some of the controversy here 
in the, in the United States about this catastrophe in Afghanistan, what I would characterize as our self-defeat uh, in, in, in Afghanistan. But a lot of the questions revolved around, did the president receive best military advice? What kind of advice was given? And and you really, you deal with this quite extensively in, in the book, and you talk about how the IDF chief of staff has to juggle the policies and preferences of the political echelon, manage disagreements between the IDF and leading Israeli politicians. You, you come up with really four patterns in the behavior of IDF chiefs of staff in dealing with uh, with political leadership. Could you talk more about that dynamic the, the, at the civil yes, military uh, level? Yes, basically it's, you know, the, the, the military echelon is subordinate to the political echelon and this is quite clear. But, you know, as, as in many cases, it can be in, you know, the, the, in every issue that the political uh, level is dealing with, there are uh, sometimes uh, different points of view between the, I would say, the, let's call it the professional echelon and the political echelon. Now, uh, I, I must say before we continue that in Israel, uh, differently from the US and I believe in Britain and other uh, uh, let's say security establishment, uh, we, we doesn't have a, 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 a something uh, which is uh, you can compare to the Pentagon, meaning that most of the military thinking up to the strategic level is conducted by the IDF. Our Ministry of Defense has got a small unit that deals with strategic issues, and there's a council, security council, that aids the, 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 the prime minister, okay? But still, the amount of people and the expertise is within the IDF. Within and, I'll just, and I'll just point out just for our viewers, this is another part of the big difference, right? You have the U.S. Department of Defense led by the Secretary of Defense. You have a Minister of Defense, obviously, as well. But there's an extensive civilian appointed staff, uh, and the joint staff is clearly subordinate to that and provides best advice for the chairman. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, just to highlight again, is not in the chain of command in, in the United States. Yeah. The chain of command goes from, from, the, from the president to the, to the Secretary of Defense and then to the combatant commanders who employ the U.S. Joint Force. This is it's yeah. much different in the IDF. I just wanted to point that out. And so I, I would imagine that the, the, that the civil military issues are even even more intense because they're not really mediated at all by a, a secretary of defense. Not that they should be either. I think it's probably better to have that unvarnished advice. But but uh, but could you talk about, uh, of course, these these four ways of dealing with the political echelon, but also yes, yes, yes. You, 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 yes, talk, yes. you talk about the minister of defense as it should be a discussion partner with the IDF yes, chief. And uh, I thought you might want to expound on that yes, as well. And, 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 and continuing what you, you said, many of the ministries of defense in Israel were chief of staff before that. And that, that is very important. Uh, so, so they understand the, the army very good, the army, I mean the IDF, and they, ha they understand how it looks like from the chief of staff point of view, working, with the uh, upper echelons. And this is another thing that I believe quite different from the Israeli established. And that's again why, uh, why chief of staff are appointed to be ministers of defense. Again, again, I think people understand in the society and in the political echelon, 
ודאר סאם אדוונטג'ס, אין דיסאדוונטג'ס, אבל מיילי אדוונטג'ס אין דפנס מיניסטר הוא נורס דה ארמי, אוקיי? וגטינג טו יור פוינט, I described four kinds of uh, interactions and uh, I do not claim that there are those uh, kind of interactions and I will elaborate in, in, in a minute about them are, are the all uh, plethora of, of interactions but just examples and they are beginning with uh, um, Moshe Dayan as the chief of staff t- trying to enlist uh, Prime Minister Ben Gurion to enforce his, the chief of staff view within the army on a very uh, uh, important general within the army, General Askov, who was uh, uh, the, the, the guy who pushed uh, forth uh, the, the use of armor in wars. So in this case, uh, Moshe Dayan was trying to, to get the prime minister within a military session to say what Moshe Dayan wanted him to say. It didn't work for Moshe Dayan. <laughs> Ben-Gurion said, okay, I understand, ask a few questions, but didn't make it easy for Moshe Dayan as the chief of staff to, to, to decide. On the other side of, of this uh, range, you could see um, uh, Prime Min- uh, uh, Minister of Defense Itzhak Rabin trying to enlist chief of staff uh, Dan Shomron to, uh, to stop uh, an already decided uh, a state-sized project of developing uh, an Israeli uh, air, air fighter, the Lavi. So in this case, he knew that uh, Dan Shomron uh, was against. Uh, Dan Shomron was saying, was saying as a vice chief of staff and commander of the ground forces uh, service that he is against the Lavi, and he wanted to develop a, a long-range, a long-range uh, stand of fires the uh, arm like you know uh, the, the Israeli version of the follow-on forces attack you know long range uh, right. uh, uh, strike and he wanted to close this project and and uh, uh, defense minister uh, uh, Rabin enlisted him in order to because he was known as a war hero and he knew that the government will listen to the chief of staff so in between, Those examples, there are an array of, you know, many, many interactions along the years. The issue in Israel is that, as I said in the beginning of this uh, 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 part of our discussion, is that uh, the chief of staff uh, personal esteem within Israeli society is very, very high. And it's not easy for the political echelon to totally reject what the chief of staff is saying. It's not easy to... Political action usually will not uh, want to openly fight, you know, with the chief of staff. Well, and of course, in a democracy, you don't want generals to make policy, right? Because nobody elects generals, right? And they're not accountable to the people. And I, I think the, a way to think about this is to, to expect best military advice from senior military officers, but also expect those officers not to cross the line between advice and advocacy, you know, publicly or, or actively. Uh-huh. You know, advocating a particular policy. I I, I, I totally agree, and I don't I, I don't think that in Israel, Israeli military history there was a case of crossing the line. There were some cases where the, where the chief of staff was uh, you know walking uh, up to the said, line. 
right? <laughs> no, no, I think uh, the, the, the lines were, uh, were guarded, but, 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 but I want to add another aspect and, and that's it. This is uh, again related to the insecure or secure personality and that the, the ability of the chief of staff to bring with him persons from his staff that are a, 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 the things otherwise than him to the government and not close the discussion within the IDF. And I want to give two, two three examples. During the Yom Kippur war, the vice chief of staff who was the head of what is called the GAM or the day three in the IDF, General Israel Tal, uh, was previously the chief of armor and very famous for his uh, acts as a commander of armor. He was practically uh, within the, the, the organ uh, discussions within the IDF GHQ, uh, uh, kind of saying to everybody that the chief of staff, David Elazar, said, well, this is not the time. This is not the time for the counterattack in Syria. I don't think we have to cross the canal now. Maybe we'll delay. Okay, the, the major decisions. And, Think how hard it is to the chief of staff when his, his vice chief of staff and the head of the NJH3 saying, this is not the time. But David Elazar brought Israel Tal to the political uh, military discussions. And after he presented his views and he said, I think we should cross the canal now to Moshe Dayan, then the, uh, the minister of defense and Golda Meir, the prime minister, he said, okay, and now, now I want you to hear my vice uh, chief of staff who thinks otherwise. This yeah. is amazing, you know. No, and, it's, it's, uh, a great, it's, a great, it's a great example. It's a great example. And just for our viewers, this is the counterattack in 73 after the strategic surprise. And we're going to talk a bit more about that because uh, Mayor has a great book, uh, a, a, a separate book on, on, uh, on, uh, on flexibility, on how to recover. You know, from from strategic surprise, but I think it's a it's a great example of giving best advice, right? Understanding that yeah. what the elected leader needs is multiple options and best analysis. You know, and now that's a great example, I think, of of leadership fulfilling their trust. Chapter three, right? You in chapter three of the book, you talk about the dynamics associated with an internal loss of trust, and could you yeah. give a few examples of that 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 sort of illuminate what can lead to a, a loss of trust? And then how can leaders recover from it and, or how can they recover from it? We're, we're in a bit of a, of a crisis of, of confidence here in the United States associated with, uh, uh, you know, with a lost war in Afghanistan. So I think uh, this is particularly relevant to the discussion here in the U.S. as well. Okay. And uh, so, so the, the, the chapter three, deals with, as you said, with a lot of loss of trust of the chief of staff uh, during wartime with a commander of a regional command. And, and this is what great in comparative analysis. People may think, okay, two, three totally different, uh, you know, uh, events, uh, 1956, 1973, 2006, but practically because we deal with inter echelon uh, uh, um, uh, uh, relations, responsibilities, authorities, etc. Practically what I found out is that the, the dynamics of the loss of trust are identical. And they are based on two, they are embedded within two parts of the process. First of all, what I found out that in those three cases, there were hidden assumptions 
undiscussed before the war about the concept and the plans. People thought that they were, we were talking about the same issue. People used sometimes the same terms, but they meant otherwise. And this is amazing to find out. And I think that the lessons here is that, uh, and sometimes it was done because, uh, uh, I'm not sure this is the right term in English, what is called industrial peace. Okay, I don't, I don't want to argue to make a fuss out of this issue. Right. I right. won't argue with you. We just put it aside. Uh, right. Probably there will be no war, war in the next few years, so never mind. But then... no, I just want to. I just want to highlight. This is so important. I think so often. I think you can attribute strategic failures to implicit and therefore unchallenged assumptions and the behavior yeah. of of satisficing right coming to this contrived consensus uh, that that uh, prevents you really from thinking clearly about complex problems. But there, there's so there's so. This is a very rich chapter. Go, go on, uh, Mer, on, on what, are, what are the other dynamics? Yes, yeah, but I think that in Israeli military culture is not the satisfying, it's just that uh, people think, I, I'm talking about content, not, you know, just they, we, we, our, you know, the Israeli military culture is based, based on the Jewish culture of debating. And we debate all the time, <laughs> really. And your know, formality in the IDF is less appreciated than uh, you know than hierarchy is less appreciated than ex yeah. than experience and uh, proficiency, etc. So, so, so debating is really on on the content. But I think that sometimes really people think that, that they agree on something, but when you dig in after the war, you understand that that practically although they thought they agreed, there was there were islands. Of, of things that they were not clarified. And the lesson is, is to dig in the concept and the plans and, and get it you know, clear what we don't agree upon and what we agree, and at least know before we begin war what we don't agree upon. And the second part of the process is, is, is of course, the war. When the engagement begins and you are acting on the background of undiscussed you know, issues, then, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, naturally, gaps uh, uh, are, are becoming bigger. And then you add differences in expectations regarding force employment. How fast, I think, as the chief of staff, you, you are supposed to do this and this. How many casualties you are supposed, in my view, in your view, to have in those uh, parts. Issues of uh, the broken telephone uh, you know, phenomenon of, of you know, I, I'm talking to my staff and my staff is talking to the general uh, regional command staff and he's talking and, you know, and the orders and issues are sometimes advisors from out of the chain of command. Somebody is advising me, is not in the chain of, of command, is annoying me, etc., etc. Altogether, uh, and you, you can see that in 2000, uh, 1956, 1973, <laughs> 2006, three different wars, three different generals, uh, 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 and it ended in Moshe Dayan wanted to, to uh, dismiss uh, General Simchoni from the army. Uh, General Simchoni was just killed uh, in, in, in air crash a day after. So he was not dismissed from the army. 
General Elazar, Chief of Staff, send his vice, Chief of Staff, to be, to command the Southern Command above the commander of the regional command, Gorodish, a, a kind of Israeli way of saying, okay, I'm not sending you out, but I don't want the public to, to know that the crisis is going on. And the same happened in 2006. General Khalutz, the chief of staff, sent his vice uh, chief of staff Kaplinsky to be above General Adam and supervise him. Now, so, and when I, I found out that the dynamics are, are almost identical, that of course creates a, a huge interest within current military generals because they understand it's on the, uh, you know, that will probably could happen uh, uh, during their, their period because it's it's an enduring issue. And my uh, and and my suggestion the uh, uh, and what I suggest in the in the book is is first uh, you as a, as a, as a commander and subordinate and your staff should know that this is part uh, uh, from any inter echelon uh, uh, discussion and, and interaction. And now after you read the book, and many staff officers in Israel are, are, are reading this book, you know that your mission is not only to, to do the staff process, okay? To do the right things that your commander is telling you to pass the information. Part of your mission is to look all the time for cracks in trust. Yeah. Either is from the chief of staff, point of view, or the regional uh, 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 command, or the service point of view, you have to conduct double thinking. You do the right thing, and you think about what you are doing, whether or not uh, you, you identify a crack between echelons. And then, if you see that, you have to go to your commander and say what was done in one of the test cases uh, that I, I present. Well, chief of staff, I think you are not talking on the same. You know, you are not on the on the same page with the commander of the uh, of the regional command. Go there and meet him in person and discuss this issue. This is not an issue that can be discussed in you know uh, big forums on the VC. And uh, my suggestion is that you can, if you understand that this is an enduring and we, it will happen once and again not only in Israel, in the American army, in every army, now we understand better how to, to deal, with, deal with it. You, you, you will look for it. You will look for it. And when you identify it as a staff officer or the commander itself, you will be able to close the gap, not uh, 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 give it uh, or let it uh, widen until a loss of trust and a catastrophe. And uh, I just want to add another... Uh, small issue. In the test case uh, dealing with, which is amazing in my view, in the test case with, dealing with 2006, the Second Lebanon War, the aide, the aide of General Khalutz, Colonel Ronnie Numa, said exactly what I just said. He said to General Khalutz, I think you are not on the, the same page with General Adam. Go to, to Tzfat, where the headquarters is, and talk with him. And the most amazing thing is that when uh, he, he was staying out of the room and they talked in, in four eyes. And when the uh, chief of staff Halutz goes out, 
he said to Ronnie Newman, thanks, th thank you so much, my dedicated aide. It was great, you were right. It's, now we cleared everything. Few minutes ago, General Adam is getting outside, he's saying it's, it's a catastrophe. General Halus doesn't understand what I said. Meaning that it, 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 it's more complex, even if, if you try to, <laughs> to, 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 to close those, to stitch those, those gaps. And this is, I think, and I want to emphasize, because uh, uh, military engagements are so complex in our age and so dynamic and so uh, involved with politics, the, the, uh, uh, the, the amount of those cases or the, uh, uh, how do I say, we will have to cut this, the, you can just back up, just back up and restart, and then we can cut yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. The, the, the statistics of, how do you call it, the, 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 when the statistic is getting higher that something will happen, the, the probability, okay. The, the probability, yeah. So, so, so I, I think that when in, 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 in current and future military engagement, when the, 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 they are so complex by nature and so dynamic and they, they, they are so involved in, with the political acts, the probability of, of a, a loss of trust is getting higher. Yeah. And I think it's more important than before when things were more uh, stable and, 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 uh, and more slow that uh, uh, people will understand within headquarters, commanders themselves, the people within headquarters uh, uh, will be able to, 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 to assess the situation, not only from its objective uh, uh, issues, but also from the point of view of the international dynamics and, and, and uh, be able to say, well, there's a crack, international crack beginning, and I, I am responsible also to close it. So I think it's a major lesson for the future. For the future. Exactly. And then, and then also to have an eye toward you know, making sure that you're integrating all efforts toward your, toward your objectives and you don't have people and commands working across purposes. There are so many examples I'm thinking of in military history, but I don't want to spend time on that because I want to move on to your other books too. So studies in generalship, I'll ask you just to first before we do that to summarize what is your framework for assessing military leaders? There's a lot of discussion here in the, in the, in the United States about military leadership now, especially in the wake of, uh, of Afghanistan. Uh, what, can you share with our readers just your summary of your framework for how to assess it's military a, leadership? Uh, I, cannot, I, I cannot crystallize this because, you know, because in my book I chose the, 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 the title of... Uh, uh, the, 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 what is the man's from the chief of staff in the IDF is, 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 is this one short passage. When I looked for it, okay, what is the, 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 the job of the chief of staff in the IDF? It's written to command the, the IDF and, the, and the design its force. I, I, I couldn't do anything with, with this as a researcher. So I had, I had to break it down into pieces and the pieces that I got are the chapters of the book. They are not encompassing everything, but defining the strategic situation, uh, making a change in force design. I, I, and and I'm, when, when I mean change, is not buying more. 
of you know, more tanks or more airplanes, but sometimes changing the direction of the force design. And I described three cases. Um, sometimes it's rehabilitating the army after a war that is taken as a, 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 a catastrophe or as a failure. That, and I give two examples, uh, Chief of Staff uh, uh, Gur after Yom Kippur War and Chief of Staff Ashkenazi after a, a second Lebanon War. But sometimes it's not a failure in war. Sometimes it's a crisis within the military organization. So, so this is applicable also to, to other armies. Uh, chief of staff, uh, you know, knowledge. This is the second part. This is a, a, a big issue. No, a chief of staff can grow up in 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 a service. He's an infantryman, infantry battalion commander. Someday he will move to the right or to the left, be a mechanized, uh, you know, armor, a brigade commander, etc., etc. But practically, he won't be a pilot. He won't be an intelligence researcher. And, and I deal with in, 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 uh, in uh, uh, chapter two with the issue of what are the uh, knowledge criteria for a chief of staff on other on, on domains other than the one he uh, grown up in. And this is a major issue. You know? And I try to conceptualize this issue and give four levels of knowledge. And I suggest and claim that the chief of staff is to uh, uh, be at least in level three of knowledge about all other domains. Like he, let's say he's a, a pilot, so it means on, on naval issues, land warfare issues, cyber issues, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so what I tried to, to do in, in my um, uh, framework is to practically, I tried to uh, give a, to, to, to the readers and to our viewers, um, a kind of a, a, a better shape of, of, of the, 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 the outskirts of, of this huge uh, and the very demanding uh, uh, position. Um, and it still doesn't, uh, I, I couldn't get to everything, you know, issues related to the warrior ethos, issues related to developing uh, uh, human resources. There are many aspects, and then the, and that's the reason that uh, the the book, which is you know was uh, just released and translated into English, apparently uh, is the first one is in the five book series. The second one, <laughs> published in Hebrew a year ago, was, was dealing with the GHQ. Because you know, I, I for research purposes, I isolated the chief of staff from his staff. And, and this is, you know, this is not an easy issue because people may say, okay, it is it, is a part of a complex uh, organization. He is taking the decisions, he is leading the force, he is um, you know, but there's a staff under him. There's there are the services, very powerful organizations. So uh, uh, for the purposes of research, I kind of uh, isolated the chief of staff, and this is what you see in this book. Uh, but uh, and, uh, I think I, I, I did it right. I, I gave the you know the the, the uh, minimal amount of details on the environment and what the staff did and what the services did. But my next book is focused on the processes, the the, the staff work, the learning processes from the staff work, 
point of view, the learning, etc., etc., etc. And the next three books are dealing with the air force, the ground forces, and the intelligence branch. Because it's, it's a complex system. In order to fully understand it, you have to look at the same issue from various aspects. Well, hey, I think the I think the what our viewers should do is read your book, and then they can come up with their own framework for assessing <laughs> leaders. And you know what I'd like to do is you sort of summarized what you're doing with your next book. But could you talk about your previous books, uh, Military Agility and On Flexibility? I think these books are really important for any organization that is trying to respond uh, to 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 surprise, right? To to a new set of circumstances. Yes. And and what 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 are the big lessons of those books and and uh, what did you what did you glean from that research? Okay, so so I begin with with on flexibility, with deal, which deals with um, a military adaptation on the battlefield and recovery, practically from what I focused on, which is a, a technological and doctrinal surprise, meaning a new weapon system and new tactics uh, that the enemy is using, and. and in my investigation, what I find, found out that usually military organizations are dependent on intelligence on the enemy and experiments, okay, with what they have compared to what they think on the enemy. And as you said in the beginning of our discussion, discussion usually military thinking on the blue side is freezing the other side, meaning I'm changing a lot and I'm going to beat him, but the other side is frozen, is waiting for me to make the change. This is, you know, military thinking. Right. And, and this, uh, is, this is when you hear about leap ahead capabilities, which is another phrase that I think we ought to run for the exits whenever we hear that. Yes, yes, this is related to I'm leaping and he's uh, stuck in the same time. This is uh, something that we love as uh, military officers and uh, you know, researchers to think. But what I found out that you look at military history, and, and no matter what, in, in many cases, I won't say that it, in all, in many cases, no matter, no matter what the intelligence effort and the experimentation effort was uh, uh, done, uh, armies didn't succeed in envisioning next war. And what I suggested in the first book is that, okay, if that's the case and best effort is done by all armies all the time, then probably the answer lies with giving the army and the commanders and the units in the field the ability to recover from the surprise. You will know that you are surprised, sorry to say that, only in the battlefield, okay? Right, I'm, think, I'm thinking of Sir Michael Howard, you know, the famous military historian, he said that we're never going to get it exactly right in terms of anticipating the demands of future war. The key is to, to not be so far off the mark that you can't recover, you know, once the true demands of that conflict are made apparent to you. Yes, I agree, but I add something more. Uh, although you can, you shouldn't be uh, uh, too far from, you know, in your basic capabilities, you will be always surprised. So the burden will be on the forces in the field. And what I suggest in the, in the book basically is a, is a frame, framework for building the army about the issue of not only being more lethal or more fast uh, than the other side, but more flexible. And the idea is built on 
for levels of flexibility. If the first one, and I won't elaborate because we don't have the time, is the conceptual and doctrinal level, meaning that, again, as I said before, you will have in your staff troublemakers who, who all the time tell you that you are wrong. Okay, you say oh, uh, in peacetime, okay, I, I, I'm not wrong, but I still don't kick you from my headquarters. But then when surprise appear, you are calling this guy and tell him, okay, now say again what you thought in peacetime, and maybe this is the solution. And doctrinal flexibility means that uh, you will be, you will have to say in during military uh, education, sorry, I don't know everything about future battlefield. The doctrine that I teach you that can cover only up to 70% of what's going to be on the battlefield. The last 30% will be your, uh, your responsibility. You, right. your, in your brigade, battalion, division, will have to develop the last uh, uh, 30% uh, because only then you and me, and the, as the organization, will understand what's going on on the battlefield. See, I just, I just want to highlight, this is super important, Mayor, because I think today... People use this, you know, just the phrase of artificial intelligence, right? Which is a whole range of technologies. And many of them assume that these range of technological capabilities are going to shift war fundamentally from the realm of uncertainty to the realm of certainty. And of course, your book argues strongly against that. And the framework, I'll just summarize for our, our, our listeners, they ought to read the book. I think anybody who's interested in, in, in creating flexibility organizations should take a look at Mayor. Uh, Mayor's framework of, of conceptual and doctrinal, cognitive, uh, command organizational, and technological elements to create an organization that is, has a higher degree of flexibility. But if you assume you're going to know everything, that, that war is going to be certain, you, I think, are, are, are setting yourself up to build, to build flaws and weaknesses into your, into your military organization. Yes, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. You know, in some cases, maybe I don't know. Maybe the first war that will be based on uh, uh, artificial intelligence, the, 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 the side that will use it will win. But in the long term, I don't know, I cannot predict, as you understand, <laughs> what's going on to be in the next war. But I think in, in the long term, that it may be in the first use of uh, AI that people will rely too much on it, that it will, it, it will fail. It's not only that it will fail, it may work, but it won't be enough. It won't be enough. The issue is that everything is changing. You cannot predict many of the changes. Okay, and we have to remember it's not predict what your uh, uh, competitor on the other, uh, you know, uh, in industry is doing. It's it's a, it's an adversary. He's competing to win you. He's trying to to. To, uh, to to get into your system is trying to, to to make it hard for you unlike in the you know in the civilian uh, world and, and and I think that building flexibility within the system conceptual doctrinal organizational one which has uh, uh, by itself three, uh, four sub levels of basically balancing between capabilities airstrike and learn maneuver down to a redundancy in, in, in weapon systems when you think this is not for everything, but when you decide that those issues are, are the, the, the most important one and uh, 
and, and, and uh, the, the kind of a command and control uh, and, uh, concept of, of mission command. It doesn't matter if you will have a, a flexible organization and uh, many assets, but if as a commander you are not allowed to do whatever you think in battlefield to exploit them in face of the new situation, nothing will work. And if you, you know, limit the authority uh, during peacetime, people will not, will not do it in, in wartime and, it, and fail. And, and the last aspect of this uh, flexibility concept is fast lesson learning uh, process within the organization. Okay, I, I expect the IDF, and I was responsible for this in one of my previous uh, positions, this for the ground forces, to understand what is new, think about it, and give new suggestions to the forces in the field within 24 hours. 24 hours. This, you know, okay, you may say Israel is a small country, the fights are along the borders, I, you know, they are fighting in Gaza, I am 20 kilometers in the back, getting the lesson, talking, but still, this is a huge burden again, and demand for, from, I think, modern military organizations, being able to learn. You, you have to succeed in learning within, you know, few days. Much faster learning than, than in prolonged engagement. And I think, Mayor, across all of your books, these are lessons that apply to, to business leaders, leaders in other, in other professions. Of course, it, you, it's learning in extremis when the, when, the, you know, when the stakes are life and death. But hey, I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough uh, on behalf of the Hoover Institution. Thank you for helping us learn more about real battlegrounds. We usually use that term metaphorically, but real battlegrounds uh, and, and learn lessons from, from battle and war that are important to building a future of peace and prosperity for generations to come. It's, it's been great to see you. Great to have you here on, on Battlegrounds, Mayor. Thank you again for inviting me. And uh, it was great seeing you again. And see you soon. Thanks. Thanks, Mayor. Battlegrounds is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work, to hear more of our podcasts, or view our video content, please visit hoover.org.